Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. And today we're gonna to talk about what happens when you can't even see a glimmer of hope because you've become so worn down. We're talking about hope in the valley of dry bones because we all have tough things to overcome, things so hard that they dry out our souls. And we need to know that those tough things are not our dead ends. Beth Moore said in her book, get out of that pit. I've come to the conclusion that vastly more people are miserable than are not. And Jesus even told us, in this world, you will have trouble. So this morning, I've brought you a little something designed to give you some hope. <clears throat> Hello, friends. I'm your Vitamina Benjamin girl. Are you tired, run down, listless? Do you poop out at parties? <laughs> Are you unpopular? The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. Now you pick up the bottle. Oh. A little higher. That's right. The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. Vitamina Vegemin. Vitamina Vegemin contains vitamins, meat, vegetables, and minerals. Yes, with Vitamina Vegemin, you can spoon your way to health. <laughs> all you do is take a tablespoonful after every meal. Now you take some. Oh. <laughs> it's so tasty, too. Does anyone not remember I Love Lucy? I know there are some out there, but I can't believe it. I love that she's willing to offer a solution to so many problems in one little spoonful. Um, but I, what I love even more is that she makes me laugh. But have you ever gotten to the point where you're so dried up that you couldn't laugh? I've been there. There was a time years ago when I remember thinking thoughts like, it would be better for everyone if I weren't here. Wouldn't it be easy if I was gone? And even though I really felt like that was true, I very much felt comforted by that thought, like it would be a great escape. There was some nagging realization deep within me that it was a lie, that God would never say something like that. Have you ever felt dry, parched, barren, no sign of hope for your soul? Where day after day, week after week, month after month, you're just dying for something to give you a reason to laugh or even to live. This weekend, we watched the movie, The Greatest Showman at Our House. And I watched it several times. One thing that Phineas T. Barnum did was walk around his town looking for odd people. He called them oddities. He and his two little girls walked around with flyers that actually said, 
we're inviting unique persons and curiosities to come and join our show. One of the people he found was a 22-year-old young man who was maybe three feet tall, based on a real-life character. You can see pictures of this little tiny man with him in real history. In the movie, the man is hiding in his bedroom. He doesn't want to come out. He says, people will only laugh at me. P.T. Barnum also finds a woman who's working as a laundress with lots of other women, and she's singing, and he follows the sound of her voice, but she does not want him to pull back the sheet that's drying in front of her to look at her because she is the bearded lady. She says, please don't look at me. Close that curtain. Leave me alone. These are among the hopeless that he found, the outcasts of the society, people who felt they couldn't possibly fit in anywhere. There was no hope for them to have the life that they might dream of. What are your troubles? I know that you have them, you have had them, or you will have them. And I'm sorry about that. Maybe your spouse just announced to you they don't wanna be married anymore. Maybe you have a wayward child and it's wrenching your heart into pieces and you don't know what to do for them. Maybe you're struggling with illness or a loved one that you know is struggling with a, a chronic or severe illness. Because if someone you love is dealing with something, you're dealing with it too, right? Addiction or bullying. Maybe you're in some terrible nightmare like losing a child. Maybe that's the worst of all. So what happens when your problems get you so low that you can't even see a glimmer of hope? There's certainly no job in a circus. There's no dose of Vitamita Vegemin that's going to cure what ails you. This was the case for the Israelites several times. But in the passage we're reading today, Ezekiel chapter 37, which talks about the valley of dry bones. The background is that the Israelites have come a long way. You know, God is always there. He's always speaking to his people. And one day a man named Abraham actually listened to him. And he had many children. And those children, God's people, the Hebrews, ended up in Egypt at one point, enslaved, miserable. And God and Moses delivered them from the Pharaoh. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they finally made it to the promised land. They had it made. Life should be great. What often happens when we've finally arrived or we've gotten to a certain mountaintop? Do we begin to take for granted the blessings of life and the one who has bestowed them upon us? Do we begin to forget about God? This is what happened to the Israelites. Here they were in the promised land and they began to drift away from God. They saw the people around them who were worshiping idols and it looked like fun to them. So they also began worshiping chunks of metal 
instead of the real, living, true God having his place as number one in their thoughts, in their deeds, in their hearts at all times. And so as they began to drift spiritually, they began to have circumstantial problems as well. Not that that always happens for us, but you'll see that it happened for them. Ezekiel was 25 years old when he and his family and his entire nation were divided up because they were conquered by outside forces. Many of them were carried off as captives. Ezekiel went in 597 BC to Babylon. It was 900 miles away from the promised land where his people had settled. It was a dark time for God's people. It was depressing. It was difficult. They were made to work. They lived in refugee camps like the ones we read about in the news today. And Ezekiel had been a God-fearing man all his life, even when the Israelites were still in the promised land. He had been warning them over and over, do not worship idols, worship God. Terrible things are going to happen, but they didn't listen. And now, after they had been in captivity for 10 years, Ezekiel is sitting and talking with God, listening to him, looking for him, and God gives him a vision. And this vision is pretty depressing in the beginning. It's a picture of a valley, and in the valley, there are dried up bones, just filled with bones. This was probably what's called an ossuary, where bones are kept until they're going to be buried later on. Ezekiel 37 begins, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. God led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Why would he ask that? How can bones live? And Ezekiel said, God, you're the only one who knows that, which was an answer of trust. He was in essence saying, if these bones can live, you're the only one who could make it happen. I brought you some bones today. These are antlers, and my husband says they're not bones. So I Googled it, antlers are bone. <laughs> Horns are more like fingernail. I would never correct my husband in public. These are not actual bone bones, these are antler bones. So, and he brought them for me in his car today, so I'm very thankful. But here's our visual aid. We go hunting in West Texas once a year. I use we and once a year very loosely because every once in a while I go. And very once in a while, every once in a while I hunt, but not always. I once shot a deer when I was young and felt I had to prove that I was a man and now I don't feel I have to do it ever again. Um, 
I did shoot the head off of a turkey for which I remain proud. <laughs> Once we've shot, and I use the word, we and shot loosely, these animals, we take them to a shed in West Texas where we're staying and we clean out these animals and we save the meat and they're gonna be packed at the packing plant. But whatever's left of those animals, we drag over to this ditch where everyone who's been hunting there before us drops the remains of their animals. And so you can imagine, there's this ditch of varying degrees of decaying animal parts. It's fascinating, I actually love it. <laughs> I'm going too far here. <laughs> but it's very interesting to look at. Most of them are just the bones that are left. None of us are standing there on the edge of that ditch thinking, in just a minute, these bones are gonna come together and a deer is gonna run out in front of us. None of us are thinking, oh, any minute now, that one feather that's left and that beak is gonna make a turkey and start gobbling around in front of us. Nobody thinks that. It's a hopeless situation. These beings are gone. They are dead. They're so dead that some of them don't have any skin or muscle or flesh left on them. They're just bones and the bones are all dried out by the sun. There's no marrow left in them. So when God says to Ezekiel, hey buddy, do you think these bones can live? What do you think he thought? Are you kidding me? Only if you perform a miracle, God, because there's no way on earth that would happen. What does it mean to be dried up as a human? It means to be hopeless like these bones with no life left in them whatsoever. How do we ever get to this degree of hopelessness, you and me? Have you, will you, can you imagine it? I'll tell you, it does happen. There are two ways I know of that this happens. Um, picture a balloon, blown up balloon. There are two ways that a balloon can lose all of its air and just be deflated, become nothing. One way is if something pokes it, then it just, you know, it pops. And I think that happens to us in life. Severe circumstances can just sucker punch the breath right out of you. You think, where's my next breath coming from? I can't survive this. The other way is if you have a slow leak in a balloon, you know, just a tiny pinprick, and it just over time, and that balloon just loses all of the breath that's in it, and it deflates. Those things happen to the Israelites, both of them. They had the slow leak of drifting away from God, and then they had the sucker punch to the gut of these countries who came in and conquered them and divided them up like a body whose bones are being flung to the north and the south and the east and the west. What do we do then for dry bones? Prescription for dry bone syndrome, 
preparation, and prevention. They're the two best things I know. Preparation, just face reality. Life is hard. There will be hard times. Jesus said it, in this world you'll have trouble. Scott Peck said it in his book that's quoted so often, The Road Less Traveled. He said, life is hard. Once you acknowledge that, face up to it and say, well, okay, then you can just transcend and live on a different level. It helps. So prepare yourself before the hardest things come to say, well, okay, life can be really hard. We can do this. Second, prevention. There are some things you can do to help keep yourself maybe from falling in the valley, maybe from going down as low ahead of time. And they all involve becoming close to God and staying close to him. The other part of that verse where Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. He's telling us that life will be hard so that we'll be peaceful. That's not usually what we think of as bringing us peace. But if Jesus said it, maybe there's something to think about in there. If we know what to expect, if we're preparing our hearts and minds ahead, we can be people who, when the hard times come, get through them on a more even keel. He says, take heart for I have overcome the world. This world and its problems are not our primary way of existing. God has given us a completely different level of existence if we'll buy into it. Where we're existing on a spiritual level that is bigger and more important than what we're experiencing day to day. I'm not talking about escaping from the realities of life. I'm talking about this this level of spiritual strength that comes from God that helps us to live in a more even way instead of living like this or living more like this. Jesus says, I've come so that you may have peace. It's optional. We can take him up on his offer or not. He offers us wisdom. Many times we uh, take a wrong turn and we just slip into that pit. God's wisdom is not about keeping us from having a good time. It's not about making us have to sit around and read a book that we think is boring so that we'll get some. God's wisdom is about keeping us safe. That's what it is. It's about keeping us safe. There's the story of a town that had in it this very steep cliff that ended in a deep valley. And people kept wandering over by that cliff and they'd fall off, so they had a town meeting. They decided, we'll put an ambulance down there so when people fall off that cliff, we can drive them to the hospital right away. Great plan. And then a stranger came to town and he said, hey, what's going on over at that cliff? And he said, well, these people keep falling off, so we have an ambulance down there to take them to the hospital. The stranger says, dude, why don't you put a fence up? Prevention is far more effective than treatment. God would love to be able to keep you from falling over the cliff. Sometimes it's nothing you do, the balloon gets popped, and you couldn't have avoided it. 
Sometimes though, there's a slow leak or you can steer clear of the thorn bushes if you're using God's wisdom and you can avoid the valley. That's what he would love. He doesn't want you to be miserable. The Israelites could have used some preparation and some prevention, couldn't they? God clearly warned them over and over through Ezekiel and many other means to stop worshiping idols, but they were what's called stiff-necked. They would not turn either way. They're like, mm-mm, I got it, I know. I know better, leave me alone, I got my path. They were stubborn, they wouldn't listen to him, and so as a result, they became weak and vulnerable, like disconnected bones. At one time, God's people had been unified and full of purpose, but now they were disconnected and scattered and full of chaos. We, too, as Christians, can go personally from being God's person, devoted, faithful, consistent with him, reading his word, listening for his voice, looking for his way, to being people who drift into having our fingers in our ears and our eyes closed like little toddlers and we begin to dismantle bit by bit by bit like loose bones. But there's good news. God will still come after you. God still went after the Israelites. They were so spiritually dry that they were like dry bones in a valley and God still said to Ezekiel, let's go see what we can do about those dry bones. So we see as this passage continues, Ezekiel says, God said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Do you hear that today? Is God talking to you? Are you dry bones? And he's saying, listen to me, my child. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and you'll know that I am the Lord. If you know it already but you decided to forget it or you never knew it, now you'll know because you'll have life and you can contrast it to what death felt like. So Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling around and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So here we'll add another P to our prescription. We've already talked about preparation and prevention, but there's also partnership here. Isn't it interesting that God says to Ezekiel, Speak to these bones. Is there any doubt about who put the bones together? Was it Ezekiel or God? It was God, obviously. Is there any doubt about whether God needed Ezekiel in order to do this? There's no doubt, God doesn't need Ezekiel. But he invited him into the process and he will not, he will not do what he does without our willing participation. He does not force himself on you or me. We are partners with him. We're partners with him even when we are spiritually dead and need to come alive. And isn't that what this is all about? It's about waking up. It's about coming to life. 
You see these bones at this point, they're rattling around and they're attached again and there's muscle and sinew and flesh. We used to sing about them all the time in my house, dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones, and my dad would do a little dance. But these bones don't have breath in them, and bones that are connected but without life are monsters. They're the walking dead. We can't stop there. You and I might be the walking dead. We can fool people during the day move around, rattle our bones, make a few connections, but where there's no breath from God, there is no life, and we are monsters. Unpredictable, chaos, dried out, spiritually dead. So God invites Ezekiel's partnership again to finish the job. Ezekiel says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds, which means all the corners of the earth, from everywhere, come and focus all your energy on these dry bones, God says, and breathe into them. And breath entered them, they came to life, they stood upon their feet, a vast army. All this trash in this valley, these pieces of bone that are worthless stood up and they were strong, an army. What would happen if we Christians let God breathe his breath of life into us and we became standing alive, strong, spiritually awake, an army? What would happen? Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. These are my people, God says. The bones said we're dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off. So prophesy to them, tell them, I will bring them up out of their graves. It doesn't get any deader than that. Down in the grave. I will bring them up and put my spirit in them and they will live then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And why does God say that? Why does he keep saying, now you'll know I'm the one who did it? Not because he needs to be worshiped, but because we need to worship him. We need it with everything that is in us. It is for our own good that we do it. It's when we forget from whence our breath comes that we die. We have to remember that it is the Lord God, the one creator, who put this breath in us in the first place. And he is our only source, the only source, or we suffocate. The word for breath in Hebrew is ruach. You see it over and over in the Bible and it's used here. It can be translated breath or wind or spirit And all these things also denote the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the part that we talk about as being God with me, God in me, into my innermost being. And from the guts of God, he takes his breath and pours it into Adam, the first man. Remember, he was just dust, just like these dusty old bones. 
until God took his own breath, his own essence, the very essence of who he is, and he gave it to that dust, and that dust came alive. And when you came to life in the very beginning, he gave you his breath. But how we can deny that breath over time. But he offers it to you again, over and over and over and over. He says, let's make these bones come back to life. God says, I will put my breath inside you and I will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Now you'll obey me because you want to, because you realize it's the thing that makes you the very happiest in all this world, that nothing else compares, that your greatest delight, your heart's desire is to be with me deeply, intimately related, best friends, always together, always listening, always looking. If you're a dry Christian, chances are you have not learned to live with what the Holy Spirit is offering you. You are denying his entrance into your gut. You're saying, no thanks, that's enough, I got enough, I'm full. But God doesn't want us to stop there. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came so you can have life full, abundant, not a little bit just to get by, to be sort of a walking dead. If you don't have that, if you're dry bones in the valley for whatever reason, then you have to do a couple of things. One is you have to cry out to God. You have to get on your knees gutturally, wrenchingly call out to him. Recognize what you're missing. It's the only way to receive what it is that you need. And then second, confess what it is that you've done that has made part of this possible. I have turned my face from you, Father. I have not been as diligent as I could. I have sinned. And let's get away from thinking of sin as something terrible that someone does that we can point to. Sin is distancing ourselves from God. It is never God distancing himself from us. That doesn't happen. Sin is us distancing ourselves from God in whatever form that takes. Whether it's failing to think of him enough or it's murder, it's all sin. And finally expect that he's there. Hope is actually confident expectation. It involves patience, it involves trust. These things are invisible, but if they were visible, they wouldn't be hope. Psalm 40, one through three says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. Did you hear that? I was patient and I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and he turned to me. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, 
a hymn of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In the Pirates of the Caribbean, the curse of the Black Pearl, you may remember that the pirates had um, absconded with a treasure. There were lots of gold coins in there, but they had been cursed, and so whoever stole the treasure also got the curse. And the only way the curse would be lifted was if the captain who had put the curse on it shed his blood. Well, the captain was nowhere to be found, and the curse was that though the people walked around during the day looking perfectly normal, when it came to be dark, and when the moon came out in the moonlight, you could see that they were skeletons, dry bones, walking around. And they said, what will we do to have this curse lifted from us who will rescue us because the captain is not here? But look, there is his son. His son has the same blood in him. Maybe if we were able to get the blood of his son, the curse would be lifted. And so they did, and the son was killed, and his blood was shed, and the curse was lifted, and they were fully alive again. 2,000 years ago, God's son came to lift the curse of our sin, of our suffering, of the hard times and the struggles and the darkness of this life from us. What a waste it would be if we were to let it sit on the side of the road while we lay in the valley a bunch of dry, dead bones. So today we rise up and we receive God's healing bloodshed just for you, just for me, just for those who have not yet believed. The blood of Jesus will remove whatever has got you dry boned in that valley. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.